0: Happy Wednesday and welcome back to Locked On Red Sox podcast. Thank you so much for making Locked On Red Sox your first listen every single day. I'm your host, Massachusetts Pirates team insider Jake Ignazuski, and I will be joined by my co host. Nesson writer Lauren Campbell and Lauren and I had the opportunity to be joined today by 2004 Red Sox World Series champion and former Red Sox player Bronson Arroyo and in part two of our conversation with Bronson, he talks about his music career and explains a little bit as well on how we made the well-known song Dirty Water. So let's listen to part two of our conversation with Bronson. <laughs>
1: locked on red sox your daily boston red sox podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: 100 it's it's so funny i completely forgot that uh... You know, guys like Jake Peavy, Ryan Dempster uh, were two guys that played on the Red Sox, um, you know, in 2013. But um, especially going into, you know, the all-star breaker, even the trade deadline in 2004, you know, the team had a little bit of a skid um, going into the trade deadline, but then made multiple moves. You know, you brought up Orlando Cabrera. um, And how did sort of like the energy sort of shift going into the second half after the trade deadline?
1: Um of O three you're talking about. I mean of O four, right. So you've got yeah. so we're in Minnesota and that, that trade goes on and nobody, you know, nobody in baseball knows anything about these trades. I mean, there's probably a handful of guys sitting at a table who know what's going on. And so it's always a shock to the players just as much. I remember that day we're in playing the twins in Minnesota and, and Nomar, you know, had to leave the locker room and we got Orlando right over from the other side. It was so bizarre. And and so um what, what happened was Orlando was just a spark plug, you know. He he was he had that, that, you know, the cultural Latin vibe, and he was bouncing around the locker room a lot. And he also could talk to guys like Manny in a way that we did, really didn't have in the locker room before that. Millar could do it, but there wasn't really a Latin guy who could get serious with Manny and be like, hey, man, we really need you tonight. You know what I mean? Like, I know you said your hamstrings are tight, but we need you to play. And, and Orlando was the guy who kind of bridged that gap a little bit. And, um, you know, and Nomar, Nomar, I wasn't there when Nomar was in his prime. By the time I got there, he was a little hampered by injuries and he was a little jaded too. you know, his personality in the locker room was always a bit quiet, but he also was always irritated by the media and he was irritated by people in the public. He didn't he didn't like that, you know, and so he wasn't really flourishing in that locker room when I was there in 03. And so to get Orlando in 04, we didn't really know. What his play was like, I didn't know, you know, right off the bat, how, how vital he would be being so scrappy at the plate and being a very intuitive infielder, you know, and um, but we just knew that you were, gonna, you were getting a personality, you know what I mean? That was going to be probably a little more upbeat. And, and as time went on, if you watch those series, you know, as, as the season's ending and we go into the playoffs, I mean, Orlando was as big a part of that uh, run as anybody on the club. Makes sense
2: yeah that's that's also so good to hear um, and shifting kind of away from baseball, what people may or may not know is that you also are a musician and that you you play guitar, you've had albums um, and I think that it kind of people kind of forget that maybe athletes have hobbies outside of of sports and kind of makes them a little more human and makes them like, oh hey, like I can relate to this person outside of baseball. Was music something that you always wanted to pursue or was it, kind of baseball first and then music.
1: Yeah, it was baseball first. You know, I, I played T-ball as a five and six year old kid. I grew up a little strange. My father was, my father and all his friends down in Key West were in this powerlifting thing, which was squat bench and heavy, really, you know, competing on like a state level, you know, and they were always coming home from work, they all did construction work. And these guys were benching 450 pounds squatting 650. And so I observed that as a kid and when he realized how um naturally gifted I was with hand-eye coordination he wanted to put me in the weight room so I grew up very strange where I'm six seven and eight years old and I'm pushing really heavy weight in the weight room all through high school um and so so that kind of ask me the question one more time you uh
2: oh was it something was music something you always wanted to pursue like was it music baseball
1: so so baseball was first and I didn't really think about music at all although my grandmother down in Key West was a music teacher and there was music in the house every night uh, like an orchestra being played cellos and violins and everything. But I, it, I didn't gravitate towards it, but I was 22, I was in double A with the pirates and somebody gave me an acoustic guitar. And right about a year before that, I started singing karaoke a little bit, like red hot chili peppers and stone temple pilots. And people were saying to me like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. And so I, I got this guitar and I thought, I want to see if I can make this thing go. And so I just started teaching myself. And really quickly I realized it was the only thing in my life other than baseball that made me feel like, um, you know, I couldn't put it down. And so the music thing is a slow turn. This is 1998 when I get, or 99, I get the guitar in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And so it's probably 2003, my first spring training with the Red Sox. I play at an open mic night. It's me, my agent and, uh, a, an 18 year old John Lester.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) And it's us three in a little restaurant right there in in the middle of Fort Myers. And I play two or three songs and we're rotating of the people who are in there playing. And that was the first time I'd ever been in public and played the guitar. And slowly it just turned into, um, you know, wanting a little bit more out of it. But I can remember in the early days, even in Pittsburgh, sitting on my rooftop in downtown Pittsburgh and being like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this thing. And I know somebody's going to listen to me one day. I don't know if it's going to be 10 people in a bar or if it would be at a show, but I felt like that I was going to manifest, you know, playing music for people. And, um, you know, and I just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And over time it just becomes more and more of a thing because you get better at it. And there's so many layers to it. It's, it's just like pitching. And what you think is, is, um, you know, the Holy Grail might be throwing hard, but you realize that guys would command in and, and being able to make shapes mean a lot more. And so playing the guitar, you know, right now I'm trying to figure out for the very first time I've been playing for over 20 years is how to sit in a restaurant and play quiet for people. How do you play quiet, but still give them the same melody and feel like they're going to feel the music, but that you're not just ripping their head off like you would at a, at a live show, you know, and so there's so many different facets to it. It's still, you know, amazing to me. And I I sit in the basement, I'm down here in my basement, I played for two and a half hours today. It's just like, you know, you're taking song by song and trying to like decode them and find a way to make them feel good.
0: That's really interesting because I mean, especially when you're in like a quiet environment, it's all about the energy. It's all about the vibe and encapsulating that um, within the room and with your audience. And it's kind of funny. One of my friends from work, uh, his name is Noah Martel. And I told him about that. We were going to have you on. And he, he was like, Screw screw talking about the Red Sox. He's like, I have a few of his albums. He's like, ask him about his music. And um, it it, it was so cool, you know, doing the research for this interview, um, you know, seeing how passionate you are about your music. And I'm I'm curious with with the teams that you played for throughout your MLB career, um, how supportive were they of this? And did some of your teammates support you throughout your time?
1: Well, you know, it, it helped me a little bit in the early days. I wish I would have been playing a little bit more when I was with the Pirates because that was a really hard locker room to be in. There was older guys on that team that really didn't allow you into their circle at all. But the Red Sox, you know, what the guitar would do because Wakefield liked to play. So if if a guy like Tim Wakefield would take interest in me because he wanted to learn more on the guitar because maybe I knew more or because he just wanted to collaborate with me it then immediately kind of stamped like leave Bronson alone to some of the older guys, right? Cause there was this pecking order and this hazing that would go on. And so it, it, it gave me a little bit of a foot in sometimes And especially late night at the hotels, you know, if people found out you could come to a room and entertain people for a little while, you know, it it would it would take the edge off you being a young guy and being kind of pushed out of the inner circle. So um, that was great in the early years. And then by the time I got to be, you know, seasoned and be in Cincinnati, um, you know, then I started playing real shows out and stuff. Um, I think the Diamondbacks were probably the organization that that really, enjoyed it the most they would set up shows for me after the game outside the stadium and we'd play to the fans you know with a full band sometimes um they really embraced their kind of their fan base um when i was with the red sox theo actually made me he made me stop playing
2: We hope you are enjoying our conversation with World Series champion Bronson Arroyo. We will get you right back to our conversation in our second segment of Locked on Red Sox. As always, thank you for making Locked on Red Sox your first listen of every single day. But I wanna tell you about Bilt Bar. You know me by now, you know how much I absolutely love Bilt Bar. And now that it's the new year, that means some New Year's resolutions are starting to kick in. And if yours is about getting fit, maybe eating a little bit healthier, make sure you include Bilt Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the best protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, doesn't have that chalkiness, maybe that cardboard taste that some other protein bars have, and it makes it easy to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you will want to eat it unlike those other protein bars, like I said, that can be a little chalky, a little cardboardy, maybe even a little waxy, it's just not good. Bilt Bar is not like that at all, there are so many flavors to choose from. There's raspberry, double chocolate, mint chocolate, and my favorite, cookies and cream. And Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. So by like week three of your resolution when getting eating healthy is getting a little bit tricky, you kind of thinking, where's the chocolate? Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is where the chocolate is at. And we have an offer for you. Go to built.com use offer code locked 15 for 15% off your order. That's locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. Um,
1: it was 2005 and I had put out that cover album called covering the bases and I was starting to promote it a little bit and I was just playing some shows and I remember it was an off day and I went up to, um, I believe it was Maine. And it was, it was like 5,000 people in the streets. I've got pictures of this thing. It's me on an acoustic guitar with cornrows in and my buddy, Elon Trotman who's a jazz musician out of, out of Berkeley. And he's playing with me on stage. And, uh, I guess it was on the news and Theo called me in the next day and he said that I needed to shut the music thing down. And, um, you know, in that environment, it was a bit under more understandable on that team because if you didn't pitch well, there was a lot of pressure from media and outside sources saying, Hey, you know, Bronson's only focused on his guitar. That's why he got his butt kicked last night by the Orioles, which wasn't really true. But, you know, I, I understood it. I was, I, was a little, I was a little sad about it. But, um, but as years went on, you know, I, I got to do what I wanted to do in the city of Cincinnati. I got to play shows if I wanted to. I got to back off of it if I needed to, 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 to take care of my body a little bit better or something. But it's definitely been something that I, I knew at some point was gonna be parlayed into the future of my life and it was nice to have something other than baseball to turn me on.
2: That's awesome. And it's it's unfortunate that you kind of were told to shut it down. Um, I remember this must've been like 2005, maybe 2004. Um, I don't think the Red Sox had anything to do with this, but there was like a kiss 108 Christmas breakfast or something and you made an appearance. And I was convinced, I convinced one of my best friends that you were going to be performing. And she was like, oh heck yeah, like let's go. And you didn't. And that's probably my fault for not really like double checking because I think Jesse McCartney was playing or something during that time in Boston. Yes. But uh, so that was just I remember like that. Of, it was the funniest things. I was like, he's gonna perform, he's gonna perform. And like we got in line right. and She's like, I don't think he's going to perform. I was like, no, no, he will. It's it's probably after Jesse McCartney. And then the the, the whole event ended. I was like, oh, that's my fault.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I remember. I think I was just signing autographs or something that day. But we wind up playing that Kiss 108. We played the big show. I wind up playing because I remember Kanye West was just on the rise up. He was blowing up. And I remember Rihanna was there and Gavin DeGraw was there. And it was like, you know, I was such a, I'm after 20 years now. And after being on the stage a lot of times now, including with, bands like Pearl Jam and the Counting Crows, you know, or the Goo Goo Dolls, you know, I, I I felt like, uh, I feel like now I can be comfortable on a stage for the first time. It's just coming where I'm pretty comfortable there. But back then I had just picked up a guitar in 1999. I mean, I, I, I didn't know anything. And so to sit up on a stage and play, you know, after Gavin DeGraw just destroyed it, it was like, you know, it was definitely, uh, you know, a new experience and something that I wouldn't even want to see that stuff back on video (laughs) recording because it would not be comfortable, you know, even trying to sing those songs back then. But, but I do, I do remember that, that kiss 108 thing. And, 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 you know, if I didn't, if I hadn't ventured out to really just kind of stick my neck out and be like, I'm going to try this thing out, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. So it was definitely all worth it. But back then I was so green. It was like, I mean, I, my friends would come from high school, And they'd be like, you're playing a show tonight. They're like, when did you pick up the guitar? Like they they wouldn't even have any idea that I was even (laughs) playing music.
2: That's, I mean, that's, it's funny how you can kind of keep that part from your friends when you're like, just trying to figure it out. And if it's something you kind of want to pursue and your friends are like, wait a second, like you're going to actually do this. Um, You know, you mentioned covering the bases and there's a lot of amazing cover songs on there. How did you decide on those songs to cover?
1: That was, uh, so the off season after the Oh four, I, I, um, I remember we just won the world series. I was taking the trophy to quite a few places. I was a young guy, you know, some of the older guys didn't want to take the trophy to different, you know, state houses or whatever. So I, I wound up doing a lot of that stuff. And, um, and I got this call from, uh, a guy I didn't know he was a producer. And he said, you know, I read an article about you in the paper that Millar said you were like a jukebox and that you had all these songs you would play in the clubhouse. He said, I want to know if you want to make a record with some of the greatest musicians that have ever walked the earth. And I said, I don't think I have time, you know, to write original music. I've never written original music. And he said, no, no, I want you to pick 12, just 12 songs that you really dig. And I, he said, I'm going to bring in these musicians and I'm going to send you their names. And he said, look, Google them. And it wind up being Kenny Aronoff, who was John Mellencamp's drummer way back in the day, just saw him on TV the other day, doing the Dolly Parton, um, playing with Dolly. I've seen him with Paul McCartney, you know, Lee Sklar played bass on the record on nine out of the 12 songs. I mean, he's played on 2,500 hit records, played with James Taylor for 20 years, played on the Muppets, played for Princess Diana. You know, I mean, it's like these guys were, it was literally like Babe Ruth, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron playing in your outfield. And um, I just went to this studio in Calabasas. I said yes to it. And um, those were just 12 songs that I was digging at the time or that I had started singing and messing around with. And I was also trying to, you know, I was also trying to make the record a little bit, uh, you know, I loved 90s rock. It's what got me into music. So I was trying to make sure that the, the record kind of from front to back felt like it was you know, cohesive. And so a lot of the songs were all from that genre. But um, but that was to this day, I listen to that record and I'm still proud of it. And that was also in a time when I didn't know a lot about playing music. But but the, the band was so good is all I had to do was do the vocal parts. And, and it was going to turn out well because they were you know, amazing musicians.
0: BetOnline has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football continues, is March through the football bowls season and the pro football playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the rest of the 2022 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available. Bet online where the game starts. Now I hope you guys enjoy the rest of Lauren and I's conversation with Bronson Royal. That must have been incredible for you especially as, as somebody i mean you you mentioned um j- just being able to find that passion in music and sort of connected with baseball um but i was i was wondering um take, take us a little bit behind of the recording of dirty water did, did you uh, have involvement in that song
1: yeah so the dirty water one came uh the producer of the record he he, he basically wanted to um uh, you know he wanted to throw kind of like a um something to the new england area and be like you know people love this song it's an old song it feels like it's it's part of the city it's it's the history of of new england and so we wanted to do the song but i i didn't want to do it exactly like the standells i think we changed the key for one because it didn't really fit my voice and two i wanted it to feel um just a little different, especially in the parts when, when they were just, they had this part in there where it was either a saxophone was playing or there was just some talking going on. You couldn't tell what was going on. And I really didn't want to do the part. So we were kind of brainstorming. And he said, why don't you bring in some of your teammates and see if we can just kind of like, you know, we'll just talk around a microphone and see if some of the things that come out of you guys will fit the bill. And so I got, I got Johnny, uh, Damon, it was Lenny DiNardo and Kevin Euclid they agreed to come down. And, um, You know, we just sat around a microphone and they just played the music in the background and we just kind of like threw ideas off each other for about, you know, 30 minutes. And then they just kind of chopped that up. And the funny thing is that that would have been, you know, for me, it would have been the last song that I would have, if you said like, name the 12 songs in order, favorite to to least favorite, I would have put it last because it wasn't really a song that I chose and it wasn't something that I was really listening to in my, you know, in my 15, 16, 17 year old years. Um, But I found that kids, Anybody who ever played that record for their kids in a the car, they always were like, "Play dirty water, play dirty water." And so, you know, to this day, if I play New England anywhere, we always play dirty water because you can just tell people love the song.
2: It's like a national yeah. anthem here in Boston. <laughs> yeah. And before before we let you go, let let us know where, where you're at with your music now and how people can support you and your music.
1: Um, basically, I'm just playing around, mostly around Cincinnati. You know, we play about an hour or two hours around around town. Sometimes we get to New England. We've been doing that in the summertime but uh code kind of put a stop to it so we we're not sure when we're going to get back on that train but if you just go to bronson arroyo um, band facebook page it usually is pretty updated um like i said mostly we play around here you know i would love i would love to go play a little bit more like in florida or different places but you know you've got it's hard to get people to come out i mean you know i've we've been probably getting about 250 people to come out to listen to shows most of the time around here and you know i've been with guys who have five top 10 hits on the radio who, who are bringing out 150 people a night. You know, it's, it's really tough unless you're at the very top of the food chain, and you're the Foo Fighters or you're the Rolling Stones to really, you know, fill a place up. But, um, you know, the music is always there. I mean, I, I, if I sit in a coffee shop and play, it's just as fun for me as if we're playing for, you know, we opened up for Darius Rocky the other day here at a high school, played for 13,000 and be honest with you sitting on a stool inside of a dive bar is uh, is more fun sometimes than doing that. So for me, it's fulfilling to play by myself around a campfire for my friends, just to record stuff for fun. Um, you know, we have a good time, but if you if you wanna to try to find the band somewhere, it's on the Bronson Royal Band Facebook page.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Bronson, for your time and the conversation we had today. We truly appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Uh, good luck with your music and good luck with hopefully getting back to New England. We'd love to see you.
1: All right, I appreciate it, guys.
0: I hope you guys did enjoy part two of our conversation with 2004 Red Sox World Series champion and former Red Sox player Bronson Arroyo. And we're able to learn a little bit about what he does outside of baseball. Now, go over and make sure that you support Bronson on all the music that he does have currently out. And also make sure you support Locked on Red Sox on Twitter. Go over and follow us over there, L-O underscore Red Sox. Every single day, we have some great Red Sox content that we put out every day. And we also like to get the listeners involved in each of our episodes. And we mainly do that through our Twitter. And also go over and follow Lauren and I on Twitter. I'm at Jake Iggy. And also make sure you go over and follow Lauren. It's la, la, la. That's three laws. Lauren with four R's. And now also make your second listen, Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. We really appreciate all you guys who have listened up to this point and for tuning in to Locked On Red Sox. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube or whatever audio platform you are listening to because Lauren and I have a very exciting interview with former Red Sox top prospect Ryan Westmoreland that will be coming out during this week. So thanks so much, and we'll see you guys and talk to you guys next time.